sometimes we forget that there will come that day. But then there's other times we lean. Oh, I'm so thankful there is coming a day. This morning we are, uh, we're actually in Romans 5, verse 1 through 11, and, and we're talking about walking in that peace, that peace with God. Starting in verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given, has been given to us. You know, it's funny, so many people stop right there. And so let's just talking about that process. But if you keep reading, it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Some verses say, While we were still sinners. Some say, While we were still broken. But verse 7 says, For one will scarcely die of a righteous, uh, for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God showed his love for all of us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now we are reconciled. We shall be saved by his life. And more than that, we also rejoice in God through Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Let's pray. This morning we call on the mighty name of Yahweh. We ask you to open our minds and our hearts to receive your message today with clarity and wisdom. Help us to understand through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. 
We ask all these things in the precious and holy name of your risen Son. Amen. In Romans, Paul mentions some of the benefits of peace, the peace with God. And he goes into great detail about the basis of this peace, such as how it's lost, how it was regained through justification by faith. So if we were to take Romans 5 and put it into modern-day culture, we might see it in grace terms on slogans and put on T-shirts and bumper stickers and might be something like in the South, we say, if mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And then I remember, oh yeah, we do that. We all walk around sometimes, we see the t-shirts, and if you're like me, I get caught up reading t-shirts and forget where I'm even going or what I'm doing, and I'm like, wait a minute, why am I here? Let me think. But I get caught up in those. I like reading them because to me, it's kind of a challenge. I like reading them because then I want to go search it out in scripture. What exactly were they meaning? What kind of God wink was this for me on this day? But first, let's start by stating that when Paul starts a letter and he says, therefore, he has many therefores. But the therefore signals a turning point. And that's certainly what he begins with Romans 5. There's a turning point that is marked. It says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have the peace of God through our Lord Christ Jesus. Peace with God is what the gospel produces in our lives, in the lives of a person who actually receives the gospel. Remember, receives. That's going to be key here in a minute. It's as if Paul wants us to take the next exit off of this theological superhighway and just sit here for a minute. He wants us to rest in this moment and consider what is being discussed. So in our passage today, if you will, this is kind of our pit stop. This is our exit for a minute. We're going to explore the benefits and the basis of justification by faith that is only found in the peace of God. You see, peace of God is not a benefit of justification. It's not just one. It is the. It is the. It's a synonym. It is the greatest need of the human race is peace. And I tell you what, when someone says, may you have the peace that surpasses all other peace, that's what I want. We have peace in the day. We have peace in the moment. We have peace in, in a discussion. We have peace in a decision. But I want the peace that surpasses all of that. I don't want that temporary moment where I feel like I can breathe. I want to go through life that no matter what the enemy is throwing at me, I can breathe straight through it because that fire is not going to touch me. For a person who has peace with God, all their other needs are met. Paul refers to this peace in his letters more than 50 times. Now, originally, a gospel was a reward given to a messenger that bore the good news of victory. This part of the gospel message has been lost to a degree in modern-day evangelism. Often, the gospel is explained rather than proclaimed. It's explained. Let me tell you better what you should understand instead of proclaimed and received. 
See, instead of proclaiming what God has already done, it's finished. John 19. By establishing the basis of peace between himself and the human race, we focus more on what we consider a non-Christian's sin is and what they should do about it. When in fact, all we are supposed to be doing is looking in the mirror, the mirror of truth, and that's God's scripture. God's already done it. The good news of the gospel is that God has already won the battle and peace is at hand. It can be proclaimed. That is our first thing we are to do, proclaim the gospel. Second is the invitation, only if it's needed. I'll be honest, there's times I, I watch sermons and I hear sermons and they'll say, it's time for the altar call. Who's going to come down in front of a ton of people when they're already walking around in guilt and shame? If we don't provide people a safe place to come and talk and trust, they'll never, they'll never move when that invitation is brought. The gospel is a proclamation of peace to billions of people that are worn down by the wars of life. Y'all know I work in recovery ministry. People know they're wounded. What they don't realize is this is a spiritual battle with physical distractions. As long as we focus on the physical distraction, we're not walking in the peace of God. When people realize that the life they know is truly a war, then they will proclaim the gospel. They will rise up against the enemy. They will stand in the promise of God. And they will tell the enemy, I'm here because I have been received, I have been restored, I have been redeemed, I have been reconciled. And you can't remove me from this. Scripture tells us the enemy cannot take us from God's hands. So the peace of God is like, think about the hottest day of the year. You're probably thinking August because that's the first thing that came to my mind. As hot as it gets down here and as humid as it is, you just want a little bit of cool water. That's the peace of God. If you think about the hottest day with a little bit of a cold drink, you can literally feel it go down your throat because the humidity is so bad down here you feel like you can't breathe. But for that moment, your whole body is calmed and is at peace. That is what it's like living in the peace of God. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 55, Come, all who are thirsty, come to the water. Paul's epistles begin with a message that goes straight to the heart of the gospel. The battle really is over. It's the distractions of the enemy that keep us caught up in a battle. Those who believe, they believe the report that the good news, that the gospel really is the peace of God, are those who face every trial. Not, I'm not saying they don't go untouched. But I'm saying you see them walk through the trials with grace, with their head up, lots of prayer, probably lots of tears. But they don't let the enemy stop them. For we know those who do not believe are truly engulfed in this war and have no peace. So verse 1, when Paul says, Therefore, 
He's preparing to draw us closer. He wants to talk to us about two key truths which occupy the contents of this letter. The first is that we need the justification of God. You can read about that all through Romans 1 through 3. And then there's a means for the justification by faith. And you pick up in Romans 3 and carry that on through verse uh, through chapter 4. But the significance of Paul using the first person language here in Romans 5 is because he's addressing the content which applies to those who have been justified. The believers of Christ. Now, he's not talking to pagans. He's not talking about those that are outside the synagogue. He's not talking about those who don't know God. Paul's speaking directly to us. <coughs> so what is this peace that we possess? Now, in Hebrew, we know it's shalom. But shalom today takes on a very general meaning for peace. It's a very broad sense of the word. But its roots mean completeness, contentment, and wholeness in peace. Here in the New Testament, peace is not a feeling. It's an etern et uh, external. It's a condition. It's where we are when everything is hostile. It removes the sin from our view. Doesn't remove it from our world. But sin no longer becomes a distraction when we walk in that peace. It's to exist no longer under the wrath of God. In verse 2, the peace Paul mentions, the peace of God, is to have direct access to the presence and reality of God himself. You know, when you think about the truth of our access to God, let's be a little graphic about this. We know that the veil was torn, that giant curtain was ripped from top to bottom. That curtain was put there to block access from entering the Holy of the Holies in Jerusalem, in the temples. Not only did the veil mean to block, but it also blocked God from being in the presence of sin. It separated God from seeing sin. Think about the robes that the, the priests wore. They'd actually tie a rope to their legs, and they had bells on the bottom of them. So as long as they heard it, they knew the priest kept advancing forward closer to the presence of God. And if they ever stopped hearing the bells, they knew to pull the rope because the priests were not cleansed enough. They were not purified enough to be in the presence of God and they would die. So they could use the rope to pull them back. But you see, when Christ died on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins that prevented us to have access to God personally, the curtain was torn from top to bottom. The writers in Hebrew say that the curtain could be like a, a picture of Christ's body being torn to provide us access. After which it's possible for God to draw us straight into his presence because we come with a, a repentant and sincere heart full of assurance for our faith. So what is the grace that we stand in now? Of the six times Paul mentions grace in Romans 5, this instance that we have talked about today stands alone from the other five. 
And they occur in the second half of this chapter. But most notably, the content of this grace is the gift of God. And it's actually said that in verse 16. It is the gift of righteousness in verse 17. It's the eternal life in Christ in chapter 6. So in other words, this overarching peace with God, the shalom, it's allowed us to stand in a place of righteousness with eternal life and salvation by grace. Paul states earlier in the letter that all have sinned and all have fallen short. He says that this grace is which we now stand in gives hope to reclaiming just a part now, but forever and eternal all the glory of God which we were created and we are to reflect. See, every human being, and I know y'all have heard me say this, we're all called to preach. We don't know where God's going to put our pulpit, but we're all called to proclaim the gospel. We're all created to be a walking billboard. We should be like that neon sign in the dark world. Paul says, having been justified, resulting in the peace with God, the hope that we have been manifested in by the glory of God brings us joy. He says suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope, but Sufferings here is tribulations. It's not, oh, I stomped my toe. God's trying to get my attention. There is suffering in life. There's also suffering for the sake of the gospel, and that is two different things. Hope derives from persevering through afflictions when we have to prove ourselves over and over and over again that we live in the grace, we walk by faith, for all of those that are not there yet. That means biting our tongue sometimes. That means keep taking that next step, being gracious, being merciful, being forgiven, even when we're not going to get that return. Because ultimately, everything we do, we do before an audience of one. So let me end by saying this. In verse 9, it talks about being saved now. But in verse 10, it talks about being saved forever. For the one who has placed their faith in Christ, justification based on Christ shedding his blood as a sacrifice guarantees that he or she will never experience the wrath of God. Jesus Christ experienced the wrath in the believer's place. When you hear somebody say, oh, Jesus went and paid my debt, in today's society, it is too easy to see a simple exchange of money. But when you say Jesus Christ experienced the wrath of everything being poured out, it takes on a whole different meaning. When we look back at our past and everything we've done wrong and every way we've come against God, we don't truly know what it means to have the wrath poured out on us. But Christ does. The wrath of eternal judgment that will be poured out on this earth for all who reject that free gift, that free offering of grace, it will come. But the believer here now 
is saved from that wrath. It is our job, I fully believe, it is our task and our purpose to walk like we have been redeemed and reclaimed. Even when it's hard. Even when you got somebody coming at you with everything they've got. It's still nothing like was poured out on Christ for us. Let's pray. Dear gracious Lord, Yahweh, we confess our hearts. God, we fall short every single day. The enemy is constantly trying to distract us with something. Lord, we ask that you shine your light in the darkness, in all the dark areas of our life. Help us in those moments when we are just so tired, just sick and tired of being sick and tired, God. And we, we want to lash out. We want to push back. God, in those moments, help our hearts to confess. Help us to make amends. Help us to do the right thing when everyone is Gosh, God, it just seems like they're constantly doing whatever they want to. God, help us to humble our hearts, to keep chasing after you, to keep doing the next right thing, even if it means we stand alone when we do it. Help us to walk the narrow path that leads to you. And when we fall down, when we fall short, or even fall into the thorns along the side of the path, God, help us to see our wrongs and get back on the path Lord, there's nothing we can do without you. Lord, help us walk every single day like we are the neon sign in the darkness, pointing directly back to you, letting everyone know that you're still on the throne. You have never gone out of the miracle business. And with every breath we breathe, that's a new day that a miracle comes to us because you gave us that breath. We ask all things in the precious and holy name of your risen son. Amen.